Hello, everyone. Brian W. Foster here. Thank you, as always, for your support and for listening to our shows. A reminder, you can watch Between the Sheets live on Monday nights at 7 p.m. Pacific at twitch.tv slash critical role, or episodes get uploaded to YouTube on Wednesdays at youtube.com slash critical role. On this episode, I sat down for a tankard of mulled wine with the ever-fascinating Liam O'Brien. We discussed everything from his theater background, working stuff out in the game, the love that he has for Daytime Emmy Award-winning Sam Regal. We pretty much covered everything. Liam was really vulnerable. He was really honest. He was really funny. He was really insightful. It's such a great conversation, and I'm just so grateful to him. So, please enjoy. Liam, yes. thank you for joining me. Oh, cheers. Cheers. What, what do we got here? We got mold wine. A nice wintry drink for this nice wintry day. Mm. It's like 38 degrees here in Los Angeles. Oh, yeah. Two Irish guys sitting in a tavern drinking uh, spiced wine. Mm. What makes, happened? Makes perfect sense. What happened? Makes, well, when I asked you what you wanted to drink, this came up as one of the options. It's true. Why? Um... I like the holidays. Yeah. Um, I do like cold weather, even if I just have to pretend like it's cold. That's weird to me because a lot of people who grew up where there's a lot of cold weather mm -hmm. end up preferring a place like Los Angeles where it's warmer most of the year. But then I, having grown up here and in mm -hmm. Las Vegas and places where it's so hot, I crave the cold weather. Uh, I am ruined and can't go back. And I was never going to come here, ever in a million years. Now I just I'm, I'm kind of ruined. You're but stuck. That's Los Angeles. That's LA. Yeah. Once you're in, you're in. Mm. Unless siren. we kick you out. You follow the siren song and they sing you in. Mm -hmm. It's so charming. It's so beautiful. And then you are maimed across the rocks. And yeah. Your legs are broken and you can't go anywhere. By the time you get close enough to the sirens to see who they are, it was Destiny's Child all along, beckoning you to come here and make your dreams a reality. I've learned something already. What is Weehawken, New Jersey like? Weehawken. What's Weehawken like? Weehawken's a great spot. It is on the northern edge of Jersey, mm -hmm. and I think most people's concept of New Jersey is what they see in the Sopranos opening, which I would often see, because I wasn't too far from where I was raised, but uh, uh, Weehawken is this beautiful uh, town on the bluffs, the cliff facing Manhattan, which I, I grew up on that cliff. Mm. Uh, across the street from the bust that commem commemorates uh, Alexander Hamilton's duel. Oh, wow. Which I think they were like at a point halfway down the bluff for that duel, but... Uh, that's where they put it. That's where they put the head, the stone head for his, uh, his day. Um, and I uh, grew up right next to Hamilton Park and didn't you know, know what any of that meant. But it was a beautiful spot, and I grew up uh, lucky because I would look at the New York City skyline every day of my life. What would you think uh, when you looked out there? Because it's it's it for those of us who go visit or that you know live there later in life, but to be a kid and to see that, well, you know, it was it was what I was born next to and grew mm. up, so it, it was normal. But I did feel like I was at the center of the world. Um, in some sense, I guess I was, but um, I knew that I was a stone's throw away. I'm right out of the Lincoln Tunnel. First yeah. stop out of Lincoln Tunnel. Uh, and I was right near the best theater and restaurants, and and it was just you know it's just a hub of humanity and civilization. 
Um, and my parents, um, I was born and raised in Jersey, but my parents both came from very uh, rural spots in upstate New York, mm. way north near the Canadian border. So I have that juxtaposed to the, the hustle and bustle. I just felt like I, I had every bit of like uh, culture and history that America had to offer at my fingertips. And then when I got old enough to sneak into the city, I would do that and go buy Doc Martin boots and pretend to be cool. What kind of kid were you? My sister at the time, my older sister would say an annoying one. Uh, there was a lot of time spent in the back of cars on car trips going <laughs> with her telling me to shut up but the <laughs> yeah. joke is on her. Yeah, doing it to annoy her. Yeah. 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 I did a little bit of that growing up. <clears throat> I was very awkward. I had really curly hair. I uh, was not slick. Uh, I was not a lady killer at an early age. None of that. Thank God. I remember playing spin the bottle in seventh grade and the bottle spun uh, and it landed on me and the girl said, no, nah, I'm not kissing him. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Why? Did you, you said you had curly hair. Yeah. Did you, uh, did you maybe feel like if you slicked back your hair and dressed nicer, is that why you went my, to Doc Martens? My, after that you were like, I'm going yeah, to the you know, city. In high school I did do that. Martins. I buzzed the sides of my head and tried to do, I was a faux skater. I didn't yeah. know how to skateboard really, but I, I dressed to that aesthetic for a year, sophomore year. Um, I don't know, I was just sort of a goofy nerd. Was fitting in something that mattered to you a lot or did you grow out of it pretty quickly and realize I kind of am <clears throat> who I am or? Um, for about five seconds, uh, I think in grade school, which was at a uh, Catholic uh, school with nuns, mm -hmm. We, I wasn't raised Catholic. It was just a good school in the area. We, I went to a Dutch Reformed church. Wow. Um, but I think all through grade school, I didn't. I was oblivious to any of that until I got to like the end of eighth grade, and I was like, oh, well, I'm interested in um, in women, mm -hmm. uh, girls. Uh, maybe I should start to care, and that carried over to like the beginning of high school, and then and then I found my sort of drama club, breakfast club, you know, pack of goons. Yeah. And, and enjoyed that. So, like, for a second, I was like, what do I got to do? Do I got to work alone or what those guys are worth? Yeah, fuck it. Yeah. So, go to the grocery store and get some brute. <laughs> brute. Man, I remember. Do you want to smell like a dollar ninety-nine? <laughs> Wear brute. I remember, um, I don't know why I'm bringing this up. I remember a, a point in, in early grade school in Weehawken. Two of my best friends were over, and we had this chest in my basement. I grew up in this great house, uh, which is still in my family, three-story house on the cliff. It's like it's from 1901, the house. Um, and we had this big chest of crazy clothes, past Halloween outfits and stuff. And I spent a day in Weehawken, the three of us dressed up, and I wore probably what like a dress that Blanche Dubois would wear uh, on, in a stage play. And I just walked around the town of Weehawken and went to the grocery store so anybody say anything uh, you know, looks i guess yeah i don't know yeah it's the east coast everybody's I like oh, that's a, cool <clears throat> i guess i mean in high school i ran into a little bit of uh that kind of pushback but, yeah uh, not a lot when did you end up on stage for the first time oh man um uh, the end of my freshman year in high school uh, at St. Peter's Preparatory School in Jersey City, which is an all-boys Jesuit school. A lot of religious school. 
Uh, I'm agnostic now. You want to know what my 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 um, philosophy or theory on the universe and existence is? Tell me. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, That's yeah. It. That's all of it. Yeah. So you're at this Jesuit school. I was at this Jesuit school, uh, surrounded by by dudes and uh, priests, and um, I wasn't good at sports, and there was a lot of sports, and uh, my best friend, or one of my best friends at the time, just caught me in the hall and said, like, there's, they're, they're doing, there's drama tryouts, do you want to do that? And I didn't really know what that meant. I didn't know what it meant, but I didn't have any interest. And they were doing The King and I, uh, so it was a musical, and I played Sir Edward Ramsey. Mm. Uh, didn't get bit right away to, to want to do it the rest of my life or anything, but it was fun, and I, again, couldn't, couldn't play football, yeah. so it was, I just liked the people that I hung out with. But then the next year, um, we did Hamlet, mm. uh, and I played Horatio in that. We did the entire friggin' play. Every professional theater on planet Earth usually does a slightly abridged version of Hamlet. We did the whole, yeah, whole, thing. The whole thing. Great idea. The attention span of high schoolers to watch the whole thing. Yeah, or my, my grandmother. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Short, but I had this great teacher in high school that I probably owe much of me doing what I do today. He was my English teacher, his name was Jack Campion. He's still still teaching, I, oh boy, I, I hope he's still teaching. Um, wow. And until recently, he's been directing plays at that high school, and I was in the 90s when I was doing it. So he's been doing it a long, did it a long time, if he's not still doing it now. Hmm. And he was just that sort of dead poets teacher. He was passionate and would um, like orate at us in class and he would just have Hamlet open and, and semi-acted out with us and he encouraged me to, uh, after The King and I, to, to try out for his play and that's, that's when I knew that it was uh, something that I wanted to stick with the rest of my life. So it became <clears> both <throat> like my clubhouse of weirdos but then it, you know, it took like a year for me to realize that, that, that I didn't really want to do anything else. Before you ended up finding that creative outlet and having that connection to doing theater and being on stage, what were your interests as a kid? How did you, what were your hobbies? How did you occupy your time and, and get your energy out and uh, if you didn't play sports and all that stuff? Yeah, I didn't. I mean, I, I, my parents tried to throw me into a couple of sports and it never ended well. Hmm. Um, I mean, I read a lot of fantasy novels. I did a lot of, I thought I wanted to be a comic book artist for a few years and would do my best to sort of copy Covers of, of comics and fantasy novels that I collected. Um, Dragonlance was Dragonlance really was a part huge, huge, and that's what got me into D and D. Eventually, as a kid, I was in seventh grade at St. Francis Academy, and some kid brought in the red box, and I asked him what it was. I mean, it's a it's a pretty common story. Someone yeah, it's in yeah, a book, yeah. and you get you fall in love with the artwork, and you're like, what is this? Mm -hmm. Oh, it's so cool! And I just read it for a couple of years before I you know like got in and started playing it. But um, I was a big fantasy nerd. Uh, my dad um, published a couple of magazines. Uh, he's in publishing. Um, and when I was really little, he published a magazine called Electronic Fun. It only lasted barely over a year, but it was a, the first video game magazine. And this is Atari Days, something called Vectrex, which I still own. It's in my office here in LA. Now. But it farted out before we got anywhere near the NES. Um, and then he moved over to uh, a magazine that was connected to, it was called Video Business. And it went to rental stores. It mm. wasn't for you and me, it was for rental stores to see what was coming out. But he would get 
tons of movies, and we had a Laserdisc machine, and I used to watch half of Raiders of the Lost Ark and then flip it, flip over, it over like a vinyl and watch yeah. the second half. <laughs> I remember those days, yeah. A lot of movie watching. I was a latchkey kid, too. My um, parents split when I was five, and mm -hmm. my mom worked. So I would come home after, uh, you know, babysitters for a while, but then there was a lot of years where I was just home in my house uh, in the afternoon. So I would do homework uh, while watching Star Wars. Or yeah. A lot of Raiders, a lot of Star Wars. What was it about those Dragonlance books and fantasy books specifically that really enraptured you? Um, well, I, pro I read those before I read any Tolkien. Mm. So I didn't realize I was reading sort of a newer... Uh, like in stuff inspired by Tolkien. Yeah. Um, but I really loved the band of misfits that the story followed. And then, um, you know, it's full of, of heroes in the mm -hmm. traditional sense. But then I also really, really loved uh, one character in that who's beloved by anyone who, who's read Dragonlance called Raceland, who is morally ambiguous and has. He's, he's he hungers for power, and and you still really pulled for him, even though he wasn't you know saving kittens. Yeah, why why did you feel like you connected or liked his arc? I don't know if I knew why at the time. Um, I just knew that he was compelling, and uh, I don't know. I mean, I, knowing looking back now, I, I like things that are complicated, um, and I don't think that any of us are are perfect and that if we do heroic things it's in spite of our misgivings and fears and um, doubts you know yeah heroes are people who are afraid and, and keep going or you know you know what I'm talking about yeah but yeah I love those books and I collected every kind of art book or book of maps or anything connected to it and started uh, reading Dragon magazine and 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 then I actually stopped I, I was really into Dungeons and Dragons as a as a young teen for Two years, mm -hmm. and then I think when the theater bug bit, then I was like, "Well, this is what I'm doing. I'm serious, and maybe that's not as serious." He lied to himself. Yeah. And then I went through college, and then somewhere on the other side, I uh, ended up in the the business, the business, the first business I yeah. got into, which is all the video games and animation. And yeah. Was able to put the chocolate and peanut butter together. High school drama. You have this teacher who kind of believes in you and encourages you. Mm -hmm. How does that lead to NYU? Uh, well, the prestigious mm. NYU. <clears throat> the huge, huge NYU mm -hmm. with many, many acting students in it at any given time. Um, well, I'm very lucky. I had parents who uh, supported me through the entire thing. So like, I, it's not that easy for a lot of people, but I, I, I didn't want to do anything else and my parents were a little surprised and, and supportive but like nervous because there are not a lot of examples of people you know making a career. I think when I got to NYU day one the teacher came out on a stage and I studied at um, NYU at the time I think still has eight studios hmm. so eight different places where they're dividing up lots of students and each studio or school teaches their own you know, swing on acting. And the one that I went to was started by David Mamet about oh, wow. a decade before I'd gotten there, so his students were teaching us. It's an off-Broadway theater. Uh, the first professional job I ever uh, worked was at this theater in a pinter play oh, wow. that one of my teachers just plugged me in, uh, just chose me for another lucky step in a, in a long line of lucky steps. Um, but a teacher came out on that stage, it's on 20th Street in Manhattan, and told us 
anyone who, who could imagine themselves doing anything else to get the fuck out. Wow. Because the percentage of people who go on to make an actual career and a living and able to financially support themselves only from acting is something like, I think is it 2% or 4%? Yeah, it's going to um, be. And I'll tell you this, I, at my age, I am not, not one of them, and mm. I never have been. I have never been uh, an actor who has supported himself just off of acting. Just off of acting, There yeah. were support jobs, for, uh, support jobs for ages, and then I wandered into this uh, forest of, of anime dubbing at first, which led to video games and more traditional animation. So I, the entire time that I've been working in this uh, funny farm in Los Angeles, I've been supporting my acting career with directing, with mm -hmm. writing. So I've never been straight up 100% actor. When they said that yeah. at the theater <clears throat> and said, get up and walk out if this, you know, if you're not, what, is you, what, what was going through your mind at that moment? Did people get up and walk <clears throat> out and then you were no, sitting there I mean, everybody, to contemplate? I think everybody was like, yeah, but I'm the, I'm the one. Mm. I'm the one who's gonna beat those odds. I'm gonna make it. Or, and I, I think more my response was like, well, I'll just be a, I'll be a starving artist. And yeah. I, I won't make any money and I'll, I'll, do, I'll start a theater company or I'll do community theater and, and I'll have another job, like I'll be an English teacher or tutor or something on the side and then I'll, and I'll act just for passion. Yeah. I remember being in the offices of the Atlantic Theater. Um, uh, I did a lot of interning there and um, I liked helping out. And I was sitting next to Neil Pepe, who was the artistic director there. And someone came in for a meeting with him and uh, I was just some stupid kid. I didn't matter to their conversation, but he said, oh, Joe, or whatever his name was, like, this is Liam. He's, he's a great student here, great actor. Uh, we love him here. And he's only ever gonna act when, uh, once he gets out of here. And then both adult men went, ah, ha, 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 ha. Cause you had said that before, and so they were, were they poking fun, or were they just saying? I think they, <clears throat> they that Neil knew that I had that sort of starving actor mentality. Yeah. Like, I don't care, man. I'll do anything. Do you want? I'll mop the floors if you'll let me. You know, play uh, a guard with a spear in the background. I love this. I love this. I'm yeah. here for the long haul. You said that Hamlet was the one that really yeah. made you go, "This is it." Do you mm -hmm. think, whether subconsciously or not, you were looking for something to throw all of your passions into? Do you need it? Was it? Did it have anything to do with the fact that your family was split up and things were a little bit unconventional and you were looking for an outlet or a, a, something to latch onto in that way? I think I was pretty aimless. Like things weren't really tough for me. Yeah. Per se as a kid. Yeah. I think the toughest thing for me as a kid maybe, and I had great parents. My father's uh, still around, he's in, on the Jersey Shore. Loves me, he's proud of my career. Um, but when my parents split, I lived with my mom, and I would say like the hardest thing for me as a kid was just wanting to be around my dad more. Mm, yeah. I, I saw him a lot, um, but I lived in the house in Weehawken, and my dad lived in a, in a, a couple of towns over, uh, and so I'd see him almost every weekend. Um, but he also worked really hard, he would do some traveling. So like there was always an urge to spend more time with my dad, but my mom worked hard, and so I think I was left to my own devices a lot. And I think it was pretty aimless and I didn't know where I fit in. And I remember that first year in high school and, and trying to fit in that one year and, and uh, like the style even just 
clothes-wise and trying to, like, you know, be attractive to, to girls at that point. Like, what most guys were wearing were, like, Cavarici pants mm -hmm. and bolo ties. Mm -hmm. uh, and they'd shave the side of their heads and do zigzags uh, or lines on the side. Yeah. I didn't do the zigzags, but I tried everything else for a couple of months that first year. And I was like, this is, I don't know, this isn't feeling right. And then when I got into the theater club, and actually, I should rewind. I did public speaking as well, which was called forensics, not not in the Dexter way. Interesting. Public speaking. So there was in within forensics, and there's like competitions around the country. There's uh, debate, and there's drama, which I didn't do. You know, two people, you could either do a monologue by yourself, or two people do a scene, yeah. or reading prose and poetry, which I did. Um, really. And I, and I like the the through line from forensics through theater, to voice of work that I do now, to even to our uh, kooky little D and D show. I think like a love of language has mm. been the unifying uh, theme through it all. But back to your question. Yeah. Um, I think I just sort of fell in love with the the goon squad, the community that was doing drama. Like, yeah. They just felt like those were the the gypsies or the weirdos. Actors have thousands of years in history of being like scoffed at, detested, scorned thought of like prostitutes, um, outsiders. And, and I, I guess that resonated with me. And then you traveled and did theater stuff, right? Mm -hmm. What kind of places did you go to? Did you travel mostly just the US? Oh yeah, all the US. Yeah. Um, so first thing I did out of NYU was a bunch of my friends formed a theater company the Peregrine Theater Company, and it was just us renting black box theaters and raising money and doing plays. So I did that for like a year, and I mopped floors and rehearsal spaces and did data entry and uh, temp work and all kinds of uh, all kinds of jobs like that. I tried bussing tables for one week and stopped. Um, and then within that first year out, my one of my acting teachers, Karen Kolhas, uh, is her name. She just said, you, you're going to be in the hothouse. And um, sat at a table with Harold Pinter and the rest of the cast who were all Atlantic members and just couldn't believe that I was sitting there. And uh, again, lucky lucky step that she just picked me up and popped yeah. me in. Yeah. Whole, whole shebang happened, got an agent, started auditioning, um, and uh, started doing regional theater. So I went to... Um, Salt Lake City, uh, theaters in Florida, um, in other parts of New Jersey, uh, New York State. Um, and that was like three or four years. It, it wasn't that long before I came out here. Mm. And then the sort of breadcrumbs that led me out here, I guess, were um, I was doing uh, a four-man version of Romeo and Juliet uh, in Cincinnati. And uh, that's a, that was a play that got done in, in, on the Lower East Side in New York and was like a big indie hit in theater at that point. So the four-man version the of four it? The four-man yeah. version. The premise was that it was, uh, you only ever heard Shakespeare's words, but the premise was that it was four sort of like um, prep school students sneaking down to the basement of the school at night. You never heard them say anything, but the way they acted and yeah. set it up. And then they just sort of started jokingly reading the text of Romeo and Juliet and then little by little becoming the... The characters. Yeah. Um, I played Julia, and uh, actor who works a lot in our business here in town named Crispin Freeman mm -hmm. was the nurse and Tybalt. Oh wow! And he and I became really good friends on that trip, and we uh, 
he was already down the sort of anime dubbing uh, rabbit hole and would talk a lot about that and show up with a different like Princess Mononoke shirt or something every uh, <laughs> rehearsal day. Uh, he knew a lot more than I did about it at that point. And we just became friends and very soon after we got back when we were in New York he said I'm auditioning for this new show being done by so-and-so. Do you want me to recommend you when you did? In LA? Uh, no, no, oh, this was in New York, York still. In New York. Oh, okay. So I did, there was very little uh, of that kind of work in New York at the time. Right. Maybe l less or none now. But I booked a couple of good roles in the few shows that they did there and um, was still doing theater. So when 9-11 happened, mm -hmm. I was in Florida doing a show and my um, girlfriend at the time, who's my wife now, um, she would temp, she, she was an actor at that point too, um, she would temp at two places, the Ford Foundation up on 40th Street and the World Trade Center. Wow. And I had no idea where she was that morning when I got woken up by a phone call. <sighs> you know, no, nobody's phones worked and so I'm in Boca Raton, Florida, wandering around in the heat in the morning like breaking apart, not knowing where my sister, my sister worked in the city Whoa. at that time. Um, they found each other I mean, she was okay. She wasn't there, but she found my sister and a couple other people they knew and, and made their way to the ferries on the uh, west side of the island, mm -hmm. took the ferry over, and then got up, like, again, my, my home is right across the river. Yeah. So yeah. all these people crowded into my uh, house. And anyway, getting sidetracked. No, it's um, great. Overjoyed that, that everyone I knew was had survived, yeah. was alive. And then uh, my uh, girlfriend, uh, was supposed to visit me um, the very next week and so she came down and uh, we're like well we're gonna get married and we're gonna leave New York so it was a huge sea change and uh, I was never gonna go to LA or try to be in front of a camera I was just gonna be on the boards be like an anonymous hard-working actor I thought and and my perception of Los Angeles was you know fake and, mm -hmm. and glossy and mm -hmm. just not for me I thought uh, fast forward to now I love it I love LA now Was it hard to leave New York? Was yes. it hard to leave? Yes, it was. Yeah, I it mean... was. Um, I thought that I was going to die in, in New York. Yeah. Um, I thought I was going to be around. Uh, I always knew that I was going to have kids, and I thought that those kids would be within a stone's throw of their grandmother mm. and grandfather. Mm -hmm. um, my sister worked in New York for a long time. I just was used to being close to my family. I was very close. I am very close to my family. Um, so to leave was disorienting. But I thought, eh, we'll just go for a year or two. It'll be an experiment. And maybe something will happen with this VO stuff. Yeah. Um, and it took like six years for this to feel like home. And now I can't imagine being anywhere else. And I have two Californian kids. What uh, kind of stuff did you do when you first got out here voiceover-wise? Was it mostly anime, I, where I, a lot of people get their start? Well, the first year I just tried to get jobs. It took me a while for anyone to yeah. take that first swing. Um, yeah, because if you only have theater, really, on your acting resume, it can be some appeal for a voiceover. Yeah, but... it helped in New York, where there was it was that was the the pool of actors there was all theater people. Mm -hmm. But in LA, you know, there's a billion actors, so generally, yeah, like, do you have any VO experience? And I, I remember, this was in the 90s, so I had a demo that I made uh, of my very little tiny bit of work on a VHS tape. Wow. Yeah, I went to an anime convention uh, and met uh, Mary Elizabeth McGlynn yeah. for the first time. And, like, she was promoting a 
Cowboy Bebop Probably. movie at that yeah. point, and she looked like a million bucks. She looked like an angel, Still dressed does. all in like, of course, of course. Um, but that day she was dressed in like this white pantsuit, so she looked like a holy being. And I walked up after a panel like a goober, and I was like, Miss McGlynn, I love the, I love Cowboy Bebop, and here is my demo, and I handed over this, you know, like I think VH tapes, VHS tapes were like this big, about that size, about yeah, that size. <clears throat> yeah. Handed it over, so we have a laugh about that. And did you so. continue to do any theater while still starting out in voice acting once you got to LA? I did. Yeah. I did here. And I, I never wanted to stop. I didn't stop doing theater until uh, the birth of my first child. Mm -hmm. And I just needed to buy diapers. And I got to the point where there was like overlap. The last play I did was here in town at a, at a really good theater called The Geffen. Mm -hmm. it, I did an Arthur Miller play. And I was with uh, Neil Harris, Neil Patrick Harris, oh, yeah, yeah. and Laurie Metcalf and Len Carrier from Sweeney Todd. Wow. It was an amazing production. Laurie Metcalf was like a hurricane. Yeah. She is such a powerful actor. And, yeah. I, was, and I just played like the goofy neighbor next door, Frank Luby, I think the character's name was. But I would stand in the wings and watch her. She's like a, uh, her, she's a small framed woman. Yeah. But she was the biggest human being personality in the theater thing yeah wow while i was doing that show uh my wife was pregnant and in between before the show and after my scene in act one through intermission i was upstairs in the green room adapting anime scripts so that wow. i could make ends meet and um you know for them it was like doing a show, it's kind of like summer camp, right? It's like, oh, I've got a TV grind I'm doing, and, but I get to go and escape and play on stage. And for mm -hmm. me, like, it's like, oh my God, all right, I'm here. I'm not making that much money, so I gotta keep all these other uh, irons, in the, irons in the fire. Um, and then my son was born, and again, diapers yeah. aren't, aren't free. And uh, the voiceover and, the, and, and game and animation stuff was starting to throw it at me, throw itself at me. So at that point, I was just like, well, this is fun. I love it, and it's I'm good at it. And you get paid for it. And I you get can paid for it. Provide for your yeah. family and yep. support them. Mm -hmm. Do you miss theater? Do you miss being on stage? And yeah, 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 yeah. I sure do. Critical Role scratches that itch mm -hmm. very, very well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I do. There's that live element. There's the yeah. collaborative, mm -hmm. improvisational. That's right. Stuff. That's right. And we really are. I feel like in a very, very real sense, a theater troupe. Like we know each other's ins and outs, and we're so comfortable with each other. Yeah, and it's so easy to play with each other. Almost everyone has uh, some sort of theater experience in their in their history, mm. and I think all of you work together. You have a, a chemistry where you all know when to lead and when to let the other person lead, and yeah. you know, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and it really is almost like a, a live stage performance because while we can try something and then we laugh at ourselves like jackasses, it's still, it's still you do it one time and it happens one time. There's no, well, we tried it once, let's back to one and do the shot again and again and mm -hmm. pick our favorite of the four. It's, it's we got one shot. Yeah. Whatever it is, it is. And that's, oh, that's, that's a pretty good high. When in all of this transition and moving and all the career stuff and everything, did you meet your work husband, Sam Regal? Another lucky turn. Hmm. Um, I had been living in LA for a year and I went back to New York for a convention appearance. I visited my family, went back to Weehawken, and then for two days I was at the Big Apple Anime Fest. And I just, it might have been my first time being asked to be on a panel. I probably had three credits to my name. 
and they plunk me down next to this guy with a, a gigantic mouth, giant smile. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know, I don't know. I don't even remember all the things we said. I just remember my reaction to him, which is like, this guy makes me smile. This guy is mm. funny. This guy is like me. Um, and we just gelled immediately. And this is in like the minutes before this panel started. And it really was like, hi, I'm Sam. Hi, I'm Liam. Blah, 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 blah. And one of us, I don't remember who, but one of us did, said, we should be best friends. Yeah. And the other said, that's right, let's do that. And then I left. Went back to New York, and he, I think he told me at the time, he's like, yeah, I think I'm going to move out to L.A. soon, maybe in a year. Let's meet up when we do. And then I didn't talk to him or see him for a year. And then I don't remember if he called me or what, but he moved to Los Angeles. Um, he moved over to Westwood, and he was with his, his wife. Mm -hmm. And they invited us over to their small apartment. And his wife is, uh, is and always has been an amazing chef. And yes. in their tiny apartment, she wrapped, had salmon wrapped in parchment paper. I don't know what she did to it, but it was better than 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 we had any right to be eating. And uh, that was it. And then we just started hanging out, and the rest is history. Man, Max Maiden, yeah, in uh, Big Apple it Anime was, Fest. It was best friends at first sight. <laughs> yeah, for real, for real. But as with all the joking and all the fun that we have with that mm -hmm. relationship within this community, he means a lot to you. He's been there for you for a lot of stuff. And that relationship is, uh, it's so funny and it's, we, we, like I said, we have all these jokes and there's memes abound, but in this town, in Los Angeles specifically, mm. it's rare that people really get that close and stay that close. You have people that sort of come into your life for a certain moment and then they, you know, they get busy. Kids is a big reason why people's relationship, you guys have made mm. a point to stay strong and to stay supporting each other. Mm -hmm. And how, how, why do you think that is? Um, well, I, that makes me want to say a couple of things. One is um, the fears that I had about Los Angeles and about being fake and so many crazy people, those were not unfounded. This town is full of crazy people. Completely, yeah. Lunatics. Yeah. The only way, in my opinion, to survive in Los Angeles is to, f to wade through that and find the people that are grounded and then stick with them forever. Mm. And Sam was the first. Yeah, um, he is the funniest man on earth. He's he's fast as hell. He'll see this later. His head will grow half an inch wider. Yeah, um, we expect that. But he is um, he's a good man. I, I haven't met many people as kind as him mm -hmm. um, in my life. Um, and people know that I am sort of on the other side of a rough period, and. Um, Sam was there. Yeah, and always will be. And always will be. Yeah, unless he starts winning more Emmys and then it's like, you know, doesn't start returning the phone calls We'll just anymore. be grateful for the time we have. We'll be grateful for what we did have. Yeah. Voice acting starts taking off. Yep. You're not doing theater anymore. You've started a family. Hmm. When did directing come into that equation? Pretty, pretty early. Once I started to book a little bit of work in Los Angeles, um, somebody noticed that I wasn't a, a total uh, coconut head and said, mm. you seem like you've got a good head on your shoulders. Have you ever, uh, do you know how to write? Do you know how to adapt? Do you know how to write? And I lied and said I did. And um, uh, started to, now I don't, often a question is, oh, do you speak Japanese? I don't speak Japanese. Right. I would get given a, a raw translation into English that didn't sound that great and didn't match the bada bada bada. 
um, and I just over years got, I, I probably adapted uh, when I was still doing it, maybe 300 episodes of anime for English English script. Wow. But I, I tried it with one, and they were like, great, that's good, do the whole rest of this series. And that adapting must have been fun for you as a creative project, even if it was tedious at times, because of your love of language. It's right? language again. Yeah. It's for sure language and timing and music. It's a skill, not that many people do it, um, because you sort of just mistakenly trip into it like a cow pie. Mm -hmm. um, and even though I don't work on anime as much, there's not as much here in Los Angeles uh, in 2018, I still do. And it's the same now as it was 15 years ago, which is some people really get how to do it, and many people don't. And oftentimes they'll just take that sentence, they'll take that crappy sentence, just like break it awkwardly into a third and two thirds to try mm -hmm. to match that. But people who can get a real grasp for, for, for language and for timing, timing and music, it's really like jazz. Mm -hmm. Well, instead of just taking one long sentence and just hacking it at some random spot, we'll come up with two sentences or thoughts that, that equate to the same thing in spirit. Um, and the more articulated and detailed the animation is, the more you're getting mouth articulation. So right. you don't want, if the mouth is ending like this, you don't want to end it with the word broom. <laughs> like it's, it's almost like solving a Rubik's Cube. Yeah. And I would... Um, I wouldn't make more money spending more time on it, but as like that, that, that crazed artist mentality, I wanted to do it really well, so I would often stare at a line for 15 minutes going, damn it, I haven't figured it out yet, I haven't mm. figured it out. Whereas if I just banged through it, I'd be like, one and done, give me the next. Right. But right. I, I, I love language, I love art, I love, uh, I love animation, I love imagination. So it kind of touched on all those yeah. things. And I was happy to be doing that instead of mopping a floor at a rehearsal mm -hmm. studio. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the voice actors that I know describe, because most of them start out doing anime, mm -hmm. they describe it as anime, as voice acting boot camp. Mm -hmm. Does it feel that way? Yeah, it's like the it it's like going into the do the dojo again and, mm. and getting kicked around. It's harder to do, and I and I work in original animation and sky's the limit. You're just in you're in an empty room and it's your imagination and whatever the director and the team is is calling for. Yeah. But when you're dubbing something that already exists, you've got real hard, firm parameters. Mm. And so it doesn't matter if you really want to take your time. I like to joke that I'm the king of milking it. Um, I can make a sentence last, I don't know, for the longest time, just the way I trip through it. <laughs> and, um, but you often have to, you gotta, it doesn't matter what you want to do. Mm -hmm. uh, you gotta go along with the timing. You have it. to follow the, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it's and it's harder. And then when you go back, like when you jump back and forth, it's almost like going to the boxing ring. You're like, okay, dubbing anime. Okay, I'm gonna pull. I'm gonna tie one fist behind my back, and mm -hmm. I'm still gonna kick your ass. Right. And then yeah. I get to go out, and then both hands are out, mm -hmm. and then I'm, then I'm unstoppable. Yeah, yeah. You feel more un. You feel yeah. more uh, unhindered. And it's funny because I, I know the. I love all the people who got who are in this business bef before me now, and I love that I'm friends w with them, like people that I just adored their work mm -hmm. uh, when I was a kid. Yeah. And now they're like Steve Bloom mm -hmm. is an example, who I loved all the things he does. He does, and then I stood next to him and was Nightcrawler to his Wolverine. Blew my mind. Yeah. Blew my mind. And that must have been a surreal. Yeah. Experience the yeah. first time. Another good guy. W what What creative part of you does directing touch on that acting doesn't? Um. Why did you fall in love with it so much in that way after doing acting for so long and then making that transition? Because you have the mind for it and everyone that I've talked to that's been directed by you says it's just 
the most natural it's the most natural sort of occupation for you to mm -hmm. have because of, you communicate articulately. You, mm -hmm. You're also an actor, so you know what you are looking for. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think that the, the true answer is that it was just a, uh, it, it was like methadone for me because if I wasn't acting, I could direct and directing is as close as I could get to acting while not acting. And oftentimes when you're working on, on games or animation, you only see your small part of it. Mm. You're not seeing the bigger picture. Whereas if you're in a play, you're there for the whole rehearsal. You're seeing everyone else's scenes and everybody else's work and you've got an idea of the whole thing. But you show up to be a character in a cartoon. Sometimes you're just in there. You, do your, you have two lines and three scenes and you're gone. You have no yeah. idea what happened. Mm. So I liked directing made me feel like I was plugged into an, an entire story again mm. and, I, and I had to think about everything um, and at its core I love love language and storytelling and I just felt like I was getting more for my time than certainly than Soldier B yelling grenade get down right. but even right. like if I had a good role it was still just a small wedge of, yeah. of an entire pie. Give me one of your favorite directing jobs after after seeing the project when it comes out or playing it, if it was mm -hmm. a video game, what did you look at and go, God damn, I'm glad I was a part of that thing? All right, well, the first one is weird. Okay. It was one of the first, it was the first thing that I directed. Uh, it, is a, it was an anime series called Koi Kaze, which I have no idea why they tried to bring it to the States because it was about a brother and a sister who fell in love. Oh. And it wasn't titillating, it wasn't porn, it wasn't goofy, it wasn't comedy at all. It was yeah. a sad, melancholic story. And again, it was, it was theater again. It was language, and mm -hmm. it was heart, and it was sad, um, which we all know that I lean towards in storytelling. Yeah. Um, and I and I my hands were on every part of that story, and I and I really felt like we told like a, a beautiful tragic story. Hmm. Um, I also really liked being the director on Resident Evil Six. Yeah. Uh, because it was like this Gonzo action film, and I. I was the main voice. So I've done a lot of directing gigs where, I, like, I directed the Orcs for for Shadow of Mordor, Shadow of Mordor yeah. which is just which was fun. Yeah. But it's just hours of I'm gonna fucking cut off your head and shit on your neck, and that's the whole job. Yeah, that was the whole job. Yeah. which is fun, but it's limited. Right, right. Um, with RE6, uh, I met a lot of great people. I, I worked with my fa some of my favorite people. Mm -hmm. Laura Bailey is my favorite actor. That's the end of that sentence. Yeah. Um, I, I got to know Matt. For real, for the first time, and it's what led to on that project. Yeah, yeah that yeah. project. And I really feel like we gave that gigantic zombie jet plane crazy town film great, great acting, great yes, performances. I would agree for sure. And then I also really liked being a wingman to Neil Druckmann mm -hmm. on The Last of Us. Yeah, where I did do similar to Orcs. I made Sam and I made many of my friends, uh, Travis, Matt, mm -hmm. yell, get that fucker over by the truck. But there was a lot of stuff that wasn't that. And yeah. there was such a, it's such a beautiful piece, yeah. that game. The story is so beautiful. And to even to be like a, a sidekick uh, VO director on it was a huge honor. Yeah. And um, we took it seriously and, and, and gave it the time and the care. Even for the, I'd never encountered that in any any game directing job I had, which is just like, well, we've got this many hours and this much time, so we just got to get it done. Mm. And the priority on that project was to make a, 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 per, a great game 
but a, a beautiful story, mm. and they had the the resources and the time to do it right to and, flesh and the data right. Yeah, and that takes just like in theater takes experimentation, which yeah. which oftentimes uh, voice projects, you know, it's that's limited. Mm -hmm. That sort of sort of being able to yeah, yeah, we tried this, didn't really work. Let's give it another shot in this way and see if that's better. It is. Let's use that. Yeah. Outside of our own familial connections to that game, mm -hmm. it's obviously regarded as a milestone moment in yeah. video games and in storytelling in video games. Mm -hmm. Did you know, beyond, beyond knowing that that <clears throat> extra care was being put into the game and that extra time, did you, did you know, man, we're, we're doing something pretty special here? Yeah, you, you, I knew. Yeah. Absolutely. Everyone I know that worked on it had, had a moment where they <clears> went, this, this might be a, a bit of a game changer. Yeah. We have to preserve that. I got to see some early scenes before you know before it was released to the public and um, you know, there's just the leads in that show are unparalleled. Yeah. Ashley is entrancing in that role. Mm. She has um, uh, what I like about Ashley as an actor is like, a sense of unguarded openness and honesty that that beyond what I'm used to with, with other actors. What makes for a good experience with you in the director's chair? Hmm. When what are the types of things where you connect on an actor with versus you know because for some people it's very rare, but for some people in the voiceover world it's session by session mm -hmm. and I'm just trying to fill up as many of these as I can to pay to live in this expensive town and mm -hmm. you know or support their family or whatever else and then there's others where people are passionate and they mm -hmm. they want to understand the bigger picture that they're in what are you looking for as a director and an actor when they when they step in there uh, well there's always gonna be both of those kinds of jobs there's gonna be um I don't know, a fighting game which takes a little less love and care, mm -hmm. right? And that's, that's fun. Like you said, grenade. Great, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, fun. Yeah, yeah. I, I like that. But, you know, as performers um, and creators, you, you obviously also want time in the ring working on those deeper dives. I, I like being in a group that everyone is trying to do something, something real and good and not just another one, mm. right? Um, and to make something where you don't have a preconceived notion exactly of what it is and you have time to experiment and find out what it is rather than yeah. to go and saying this is what it is. Mm -hmm. um, and and, and I, this has only been reinforced with me over the years. When I was a young actor, I would try to get it right. I would try to do it right and sound right and stand right. And that's bullshit. Hmm. That doesn't exist. Somebody can tell you to hit a mark or stand here. That's that's not even my job, although it's something that you pick up with time, like a little little tricks right. that are needed. But being surprised and throwing two or three uh, actors or personalities into a situation and, and seeing what it is, rather than going in and saying, all right, I need you to yell on this mm -hmm. line and I need you to crumple on this line and I really gotta go and give it to me and go as loud as you can or whatever. Yeah. Try it. That collaboration, yeah, collaboration is important to you. Yeah. It's something that you're doing now. 
It's something that every single week you guys are That's why it scratches the itch. Because we go in, and even more on this campaign for me personally than on the last one, even more, I have no idea what's gonna happen yeah. every night, and that's the best part about it. You're drawn to stories that are on the sadder side, or you know, more melancholy. Mm -hmm. Why do you think that is? What attracts you about those stories? Because you said it, things weren't really horrible for you growing up, or, or yeah. you know, ultimately super sad, and yeah. to be attracted to that kind of story. Well, I think it's why I like them has changed over the years. I mm. think when I was younger, I really wanted to feel something. Those kind of stories would move you. They yeah. Would cause an emotional reaction. Yeah, and I don't know. I'm I'm pulling this on my butt right now. I I don't have an answer prepped for this, but I. Early in life, things went well, most of the time. Yeah. There, were, there were disappointments and things that I wanted, but I was I was taken care of and had loving parents and uh, good schools, great teachers, great lead, you know, like people that like the Sherpas on my road, yeah. right, who yeah. pointed me in good directions. Um, so maybe I wanted to, I don't know, interface with the universe a little more directly. Hmm. But over time, um, you know, as you get older, um, life comes with challenges. And I think, like, I'm a better actor now. I know because of experience that I've had. And um, they told us that too when we were younger. They're like, well, you just haven't lived life yet. Fuck it, I'm a great actor. Yeah. That's just youth talking. You, I mean, experience. You needed that more yeah, experience. The experience. And it's so much just the. My experience of life is joy and pain, like, exquisitely intertwined mm. together. Um, I'm not interested in... I enjoy any kind of movie or play, but for my bread and butter, my, if I got my druthers, I don't want to... Um, I don't want to, like, escape and say, like, oh, I wish life was like this. Like, I... I guess I still want to interface with the universe as, as I think it is. And, and so for you, if I'm, if I'm understanding what you're saying, mm -hmm. the kind of stories that ultimately, ultimately end up getting to you aren't the ones, you know, Dragonlance holds a special place in your heart because not only it's a part of your childhood, but because of those fantastical imaginative stories where mm -hmm. you, you, you get to go on an adventure with these characters mm -hmm. and that, is fun to read and it's it obviously holds a special place in your heart but then here you are now and the stuff that you want to connect with is the stuff that reminds you of the emotions that life puts on you yeah i want i want to um you know actors in general i think like to sort of wade into every kind of color that life gives us one of my favorite books is the road yes it's an awful story but beautiful because of the the love between that father and son, mm -hmm. and it's it's gut wrenching, yeah. But inspiring and heartfelt. Mm. Um, that's a that's a fantastic example because it it paints a picture of a a world that is cold and ashy and dark and mm -hmm. without the the warmth and and love that we find in the world today and instead the warmth and the love is the connection between those two human yeah, beings yeah. And, and there's, there's and that's love the to be found yeah there's love to be found and there's beauty to be found in a story that's so sad mm -hmm. and 
I think for people like us sometimes, we seek out those stories because the sadness of them shows us the warmth of that, that human connection, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. You talked about getting into the Tolkien books mm -hmm. after having been a fan of Dragonlance and stuff like that later right. on. Um, right, I've read The Hobbit probably 10 times at this point and I've been through The Lord of the Rings four times. I'm sure many people have read it more than me, but what was they're it my about favorite those, books. What, what was it about those books that makes them your favorite? Um, they feel real. Mm. To me, uh, more so than Dragonlance did, it just felt like like ancient history. You really cared about Frodo mm -hmm. and Sam, and um, you were enraged by Gollum, mm. but pitied him. And it was just, it was, it, it's a beautiful, heart wrenching story in the same way. It just happens to be set in this story where a ring is being carried through a yeah. bog to a volcano. <laughs> it's a it's in. a story about community, yeah. and that's another. <clears throat> it's a running theme with. Kind of what we've what we've been talking about mm -hmm. with you and the things that draw you in and and, and 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 people leaning on each other. Yeah, what what character in those stories do you relate to the most? Besides looking almost exactly like Martin Freeman. <laughs> uh, well, Frodo. Um, and then and then I I do relate to Gollum too because I feel like. I don't know if everybody does, but I think many of us feel like we're not worthy or good, mm. um, no matter what we do. And um, we're trying to find redemption, or we're trying to make right or do right. Um, and he, he tries, yeah, unsuccessfully, but he tries. How do you overcome those feelings? Um, What's the truth you tell yourself to remind you that that's not the case? Uh, or is it someone speaking I, into I your think life? I, I think I, you know, in moments that I can think clearly, I think that nobody is perfect. Mm. None of us are. That's just a construct. Um, and uh, we're doing the best we can. We can inspire each other to do better. I try to be forgiving of myself and everybody as much as I can. What's harder for you? Because I'll tell you my, my answer, but what's harder for you to forgive yourself or other people? Oh, uh, easier to forgive other people. E same, easily. Sure. sure. Why, why do you think that is? I'm always fascinated by this because it's how it is for me. And so I ask people all the time if, if this kind of subject comes up. Hmm. I, when I was uh, five, six, seven, eight, um, my best friend was a guy named Adam Drucker. He's a rapper now. Oh, goes, wow. goes by the name Dose One. Awesome. Very, very talented. Um, his dad was the cool dad who introduced me to a million like comic books and uh, Miyazaki and um, anyway, I was at a birthday party at Adam's house when I was like seven or eight. It was a slumber party and the next morning we're around a table and we're eating life cereal or something and Adam started good-naturedly um, ribbing me about some girl. I'm like, you like her, don't you like her? Did you kiss her? You're gonna kiss her? And I was embarrassed, and my feelings were hurt, and I felt like I was being called out in front of a bunch of other, why are you making fun of me? I was a young idiot. And I took a spoon of cereal, and I went and sent it across the head. And he looked stunned that I'd done that. And his mother was like horrified, horrified that this little prick, mm -hmm. he was joking around with me. Yeah. This little shithead flung food across the table at him. And 
years later, I still run so I'm like, why did you do that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Why did you do that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Why did you do that? You shouldn't have called me out like yeah. that, Brian. You shouldn't have called me I out. Agree. I, call me out. I agree. A few years ago, you get a call from an agent or an email or something, and there's an interest in you playing, doing motion capture and doing the voice of Gollum. Mm. And w did you freak out? What was that? Did it almost seem like, oh no, I can't because it's too close to me? No, I was ready to go. Okay. I was ready to go. I, I uh, was in that period of time where I was watching Laserdiscs. I was mm. also watching the animated Hobbit yep. from back when, yes. which is a very different Gollum than Circus's Gollum. Yeah. Um, is it? Hey, 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 Very different. Um, yeah. And but I could do a very good impression of Circus's brilliant performance mm -hmm. from the films, but I was yeah. like, well, that's a parlor trick. No, nobody's gonna want that again. Right, right. Not realizing that, oh, well, if you have a successful movie franchise in the modern era, they're gonna make as many things connected to it as possible. So an audition came down for maybe like a real-time strategy game, and I, I was just like, this is it. They want it from the movie, and I just, I, I did an impression. I heard about it. Uh, so you another auditioned. actor, and I was like, I, I contacted my own agent. I was like, I heard that they're, they're Lord of the Rings, then he Gollum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here comes mine, <laughs> and booked it. And yeah. then so I did Gollum in a couple of games that weren't performance capture. And then I just got a call one day going like, Here we go, you're putting on the suit, which was massive, yeah. massive to me. That first day, you're there, you're covered in the. Uh, tennis balls and the Velcro and all the stuff, yeah. and you walk out there and it's the first take. What's going through your mind? They're gonna realize that I shouldn't be here. Imposter syndrome. Yeah. Immediately. Uh, yeah, immediately. Interesting. Yeah. How long did it take for you to overcome that and to feel like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm putting in some good work here? Um, I had to see it on the other side. Uh, Once you saw the performance. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, and married to, 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 to the, Excellent work of the animators. When I got that job, um, I, I was good friends with Travis and Laura uh, at that point too. I, I go way back. But uh, I, getting ready for that first day, I had propped my laptop on our coffee table in my living room, and I was, was practicing scuttling around on all fours in my living room. Wow! And for a laugh, sent that video. Oh, them. you recorded yourself doing uh, yeah, that. Yeah, 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 because yeah. I wanted to look at myself and mm -hmm. see, like, what could I change, what yeah. do I need to do? Uh, number one, I learned that that's very hard on the knees. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but then sent it to them, um, and uh, still laugh about that. What, did the, what like was, it was their a reaction? Good idea. Oh, I mean, they, could, they were just laughing at how um, over the moon I was to be doing it. Your birthday is coming up. Mm -hmm. You and your work husband are having a discussion and you say that you would love to play Dungeons and Dragons again, right? Yes, just thinking of stupid things we could do. A one-off thing that would just be fun, mm -hmm. a nice throwback to those great memories you had as a kid. Here you have this whole separate community. Mm -hmm. um, this moment is so crucial to all these years after, and I'm asking each one of you about their thought process in that time? Because we've heard tidbits about it, but not not too much. I, I don't know, I, I just expect it to be a lark, right? Just us to have some beers and laugh at each other, which did happen. Mm. Um, but I remember 
the way it looked and smelled that night. Um, I remember Matt Marsh's old apartment, which was underlit always and, mm -hmm. and, and bordering on moist. Don't you believe that apartment belongs in the Smithsonian? Just saw it out of the building. An iconic mm -hmm. place where so many dick jokes were born. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Um, I, I also remember how instantly how much fun we were having and and looking around at the the people uh, in the room with me and going like I can't believe that these cool people agreed to come here and do this ridiculous thing and holy shit that guy is is good at this mm. um, I will never forget uh, Travis's like slow muddled reaction to everything for that first game not I think he thought he was coming to play like battle chess yeah um, and didn't realize that it was, you know, I mean, I know there's many different kinds of players, but clearly we're a bunch of play dorks. So that's what it was going to, it had to be that. Travis brought up how naturally Laura took to the role playing aspect yeah. of it. Normally with people, there's a period of uncomfortability and you're right. not really sure how to, yeah, there how was much no... to do. Where did you fit into all that? Yeah, Laura had no sort of social anxiety about it. No, like I'm an adult. I'm pretending to be an elf. There was no, it was just like, well, that's what we're doing. Hmm. Well, naturally, I'm an elf, darling. Yeah. Um, I, it, I did not get in as instantly as she did. There was a, a 10 to 15 minute period of, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, because we were grown ups doing it, and I didn't really know that grown ups could do it. Yeah. I thought it was something that made sense for me when I was 13 or 14, but maybe not today. It, it, it was something, again, we were doing to be ridiculous, like Sam and I had done other things ridiculous for that that podcast. We went curling. Mm -hmm. Did it like this on the ice for yeah, yeah. an hour. That's what I thought it was. It was going to be just more of this. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then you guys started curling. He <laughs> and I are close. Yeah. Um, I, it was magic. It was magic. I could not have predicted the end result, mm. but uh, it was magic. And I went home that night going, Phew, on my own, like we're, everyone knows how tight we are. We were close friends, but we weren't the, the family that we are now. Yeah. And I remember going home going, man, that was so good. That's the most fun I, I th that's the most fun I've had in a long time. I wanna do that again. And you're the one who replied to everyone and said, we, can we do this again? The next day, yeah. I was like, well, play it cool. Play cool. It's like a, good, a date that went well, yeah. and you're like, See? do I wait four days because that's what you're supposed exactly. to do? Make a missy a little bit, you yep. know? Yeah, and see, let somebody else say something first. Just gauge it. See how they feel. See how they feel. Yeah. Next morning, nobody had said anything in the the text thread. Maybe we had made to plan it, or maybe I started new on that. I can't remember, but nobody said anything. And then I sent out a message going, I don't know about the rest of you, but I thought that was awesome. I think we should keep doing this. And a day or two went by before anyone replied to that. So mm. it was just like that date thing. We're just like, yeah, I had a really good time with you. I thought we had great chemistry. And I'd love to go out for a second time. So just call me back. Yeah. Beep. Mm -hmm. We've talked ad nauseum about Critical Role and about all, you know, the, the, the origins and the, the current state of it. What are you going to take away from this whenever it's all said and done for however many years this goes on? What are you going to take away from this? Is it the friendships? Because you're already friends with everybody, but this is, like you said, it's like a traveling theater mm -hmm. troupe. You are, you're living life together and you're mm -hmm. creating something together. Yeah. Um, but everyone's been transformed through, through this experience. If I died tomorrow and never did another creative venture again, 
I would feel like I'd done enough as an art, as like a, as a creator mm. and a lover of, of art and storytelling. We have created a world and a history and a story um, that, that ascends the very brightest um, It just surpasses anything that I would do in my life. Yeah. Um, I'm used to be. I've I've grown accustomed to being uh, like a gig actor, fulfilling other people's needs, mm. which is great, which is fun, and I've played great roles. I've been very proud of my work. But we, um, cart. We've got a big block of stone in front of us, and we carved away the excess and made something beautiful. The people that latch themselves onto the characters that you play find a relatability and uh, an understanding in the way that you manifest these characters' choices and stuff. And you're very uh, distinctive about what choices are Liam's and what choices are Vax's or Caleb's. And, and I've seen so many people be so moved by those experiences because you're, you're you know, you're playing someone who, even if they fit in, they're an outcast in some way. And even if, you know, things are going well, there's still something for them to have to really ponder and, and think about. And that relates to so many people in, in so many ways. Has it been rewarding for you to, to meet those people and to hear that feedback? Because you couldn't have imagined when you're coming up with this character that that would be the end result, right? Yeah, there's just continuing sort of uh, levels of of things I can't uh, even believe exist about about the, this adventure that we're on. Just the fact that we get to just tell a story together is one thing, but the stuff that I've done during this show is extremely meaningful to me, and my time with everyone at the table is extremely meaningful to me, um, and has changed my life. It has it has um, gotten me through very hard times and informed me about myself in those hard times. And then to get sent messages and to meet people who are on the other side of it having the exact same or, or a similar uh, meaning or value taken from it as I do. I don't know, I feel really blessed. And I feel like what we do, sometimes I don't even feel like, like I know that we're all like people with a lot of experience and, and, and we've been working hard at our craft for a long time and so inhabiting a character is something that's come from years of experience. But I also feel like this experience, I do believe the universe is pretty cold and random, but it's hard not to feel like this wasn't fated somehow and I often feel like there is like, something is moving through us. Mm. It's just happening and, and, and like we're vessels watching it spill out on the table in, in the circle of all of us. It feels like magic. God, I've had some hard days uh, the last four or five years, and there were times where I thought like, I, I don't wanna be in front of people right now, part of me. I wanna like hide. But a bigger part of me would always say, I wanna be with my second family. Hmm. I feel, um, lifted up by them and, and comforted and I laugh and and I'm lucky I don't take 
this experience, any any inch of it for granted. Mm. And, and um, you can tell, you can tell. You talked about hard times and at the beginning, few months really of the show becoming a show, yeah. um, your mom got sick. You know, I remember we went to New York Comic Con three years ago and you were taking care of that situation. <clears throat> yeah. What was that like? What, I mean, you, you, everyone, I saw everyone surround you in a way, myself having been, you know, much more removed from Critical Role at that time than I am now, but still having known you back then, watching the way everyone came in, around you when your mom got sick and, and, and lifted you up, like you said, in those moments where you maybe even didn't want to be there because of what you were going through or you didn't feel like you could give an honest performance, that was the moment for me as an outsider looking in where I went, there's something special to this. Mm -hmm. Even outside of the community's reaction, but going through that during this experience, what, what was that like for you? Well, it's one thing is that, that all of that kind of predates the show a bit as well. Yeah. Um, another thing that happened um, when we were still playing at home is I developed, and I still have, uh, a condition in my, in my ear. And um, it's, it's not uh, tinnitus, which many people, you know, if I ever bring it up. They automatically say they think yeah, that's not ringing right. my ear. Um, but many people with that, like over time, you grow accustomed to it and it sort mm. of fades into the background and that's happened. But um, when we were still at home, I, I developed a thing which after a year of experimenting, muddling around, the doctor finally said, oh, you have what's called hyperacusis, which is a, is a, a, a newfound sensitivity to sound mm. or um, certain frequencies. In the lead up to when we were discussing that this might be a show, uh, I was hitting the wall on that, and and my mom started to get sick at the same time. So like there was a six week period where I didn't sleep. I was getting like an hour a night. I, I was going kind of crazy. Yeah, I almost fell. I almost sort of like passed out over our stove one day. I was exhausted all the time and freaking out. I didn't know what was going on. Yeah, thought maybe I was dying. Thought maybe I had a tumor. Um. And my mom, at the same time, who has fought cancer her entire life, it's come in waves, and she's beat it every time, so I think I lulled myself into a false sense of security that she would, right. she, she's, she's, if it was gonna get her, it would've gotten her already. You know, there started to be signs, and um, right um, after we'd begun the show, and it was around that New York time, um, she had to go to a hospital, and we thought we might lose her on that, on that one night, hmm. or on that visit. And we didn't. Uh, she made it through that night. But over a period of a year, um, it got the better of her. Hmm. Um, I also kind of lost her before we lost her because sometimes it was up here. Yeah. Um, you know, her she her her personality went to it, it wasn't Alzheimer's, but it was like that. Yeah, a lot like that. Happened with so, my grandfather. I know that hard. feeling. Yeah. Yeah. A big regret I have is that my mom uh, doesn't really know anything about all this. Mm. We had just started. And yeah. She was still, you know, cognizant enough to know that I was trying this new weird thing in front of a camera, um, but not really. Um, 
and she's in New York. So there was a lot of guilt of, God, I thought I'd be in New York my whole life. Taking care of be your there parents that once they yeah. got to that age and things, yeah. 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 My older sister uh, did a lot of the heavy lifting while I was with my kids here in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. um, and I would fly back when I could. But I had all that going on. I had a lot, I just had a lot of uh, emotion. I didn't know where to put it. And it helped, the, the show helped to, you know, to stretch it all apart, I guess. Um, you made a choice that I think is a wise choice, which was to not show up on Thursday nights and paint a picture or wear a mask, pretend that everything was just happy-go-lucky and life is great. You brought and processed some of what you were going through into the storyline and the characteristics and things of the game. Did that? I don't. I don't even know that I would have been able to put on a, a, a mask and tap dance. I mean, you're not really that sort of person. Uh, but, but compared to what many people would do, or you know, maybe my first in instinct to do would be to say like, I'm not ready to deal with this. I'm not ready to like process it in real time. So. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna do this thing that makes me happy and that I'm close to these people, but I'm gonna deal with that separately. Yeah. For you, this group and the show has been a, a place of healing for you in that yeah. way. Yeah. Did you feel like it was risky to flush that out and to live that out in, in and on the show? Um, or was it worth it for you because you knew that with this group and the safety and sort of the kind of storytelling that you're doing that you could work this out really in the sessions. I just knew, well, a couple of things. I, I knew how good this group was has been for to me and for me in the past. Um, and, you know, my wife was very strong for me at that time and was a huge support to me. And my second family was as well. Um, it, was, it was a little bit like watching a traffic accident sort of like happened in slow motion and mm. I was like darkly fascinated. I, I couldn't believe the things that were lining up and in like the last uh, weeks that my mom was still with us and knowing that you know it wasn't going to be much longer the story took a turn it took and and I remember it was we had a game we had it was the, the point in the story where it, it was the tomb it was the tomb episode and then I was gonna go home. I was heading home. Yeah. And I, I remember back to the East Coast. Yeah. 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 Not knowing if uh, if it would just be a visit and I'd come back. It ended up. I ended up seeing my mom to the end on that visit. But I remember we we all met for something after that uh, that that chapter. And thinking like, I don't want to be Batman. Like I didn't know what it was going to be yet. Yeah. Like I don't. And and ultimately, it's the best thing that could have ever happened. I really got to, you know, like stare into the deep dark truthful mirror because of it. But I I remember like like a cat with water being like I hate this. Hmm. I meant to like pull the ripcord and get out, and I'll come back in a month and I'll be something else. This just seems daunting to me. Interesting. Um, and then I went to the East Coast and, you know, I was there for the last days and 
did all the things you do. And if it were anything else, you know, like if it were, if I were on like a sitcom or something and it had to be hilarious, I think I probably would have taken a hiatus, but. You felt the safety to go through I, what I you I wanted to be, I wanted to be with these people. Hmm. And I'd already had experience um, in the past of um, having a hard time when this went off. Yeah. Um, and they were crucial for me then, so I was like, well, I gotta have them around me again because this is even a bigger test than the last. Is there a connection to you in the types of stories that move you and, and, and that element that we talked about of something sad and making you feel real emotions? When you're creating these characters and you're playing them out and you're making these sometimes very thought out decisions, sometimes because of what happens in the game, spontaneous decisions. Are you hoping that your characters have that same effect on the people who watch the show? Is it's not, you know, this person's sad or he's an emo character or, you know, any of the jokes that mm. people make because they tend to be serious or, th or ref reflective and, and deep, but I see people have that reaction that you and I have to sadder characters mm -hmm. or sadder stories because it does make you feel, and, it, and there is a, a grounding element in there for you. Is Do you think about that, or for you it's more of just, this is what's this is who this person is? It's, it's, it's more the latter. Um, we're very conscious that we have an audience now, there's no denying it, and it's part of the energy that mm. makes it such a thrill to do, but um, we're still playing this game for ourselves. And I'm not tailoring what I'm doing for anybody. I'm playing this game the way that I want to play this game and do things that I find interesting and gratifying and challenging to myself. So it was a great surprise and humbling to hear people from people having the reaction they did to it. And, I, and again, I feel humbled by it that someone can watch what I do you know, all this stuff is sandwiched between dick jokes and, you know, turning ourselves into cows. It's the best. It's, it's, it's comedy and, and tragedy all, all knotted up together. But to get a message from someone telling me, many people, saying I was able to come out to my family yeah, because I watched your story, mm. I should be thanking them. Yeah. Like, to be of use mm. in this world instead of somebody just pulling a lever and going about their day to like connect with people both i get to connect with the people at, at the table yeah with you mm -hmm. what we do i get to inspire and be inspired and that's that's a not everybody gets that that's rare yeah you've taken not only the game but everything that for you is precious about the experience of mm -hmm. the game, and now you've brought that into your kids' world. Mm. What's, what has that been like for you? I mean, obviously it's gotta be so fun that they, you know, that your daughter loves playing D&D. &D. Yeah, yeah. Obviously that's cool. Yeah. My wife doesn't know what happened. Our, <laughs> yeah, our lives yeah. are entirely about Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. There is a, a, a fortress filling yeah. up like a quarter of my office. Yeah. Right now. But how badly do you want her to have a group of people and, you know, ultimately... Her who? Daughter? Yeah. Whether it's, whether it's, or your kids, whether yeah. it's through playing D&D &D or 
whatever else to be able to have this same connection and the same sort of family that you have outside yeah, of. I want I want my children to drink deeply from life and not go on autopilot. Mm. Um, I want them to follow their bliss. Um, both my kids are very bright and I, and so are their friends and the games are fascinating. Everyone should play the, play this friggin' game. I agree, yeah. I'm watching their synapses burst and crackle around the table, and and I'm watching them grow up too. You know, I, my son's game went when it first started to three little guys just sort of like learning about moving the battle chess pieces around to now like having debates and uh, and drama over the table about what's the right thing to do, and my I'm watching like my daughter and her friends. It's five, five girls who are nine. Um, I'm watching them blossom into young ladies and like them reacting to like some young knight in the game, like having a totally different reaction than they had their first, mm. which was all about like witches and, and funny voices. And I'm just watching them mature yeah. and grapple with things. And, and that's why I think the game and, and art um, and storytelling is so important because we are processing our lives. People have always wanted stories. People need stories. It's essential hmm. to understand themselves. It's when you're reading a story, you're really just considering how it reflects back on you, how you're, how is that similar to my experience? We're all looking for meaning. Hmm. We might not find it, but we're all looking. Have you been to Ireland? Four times. Four times? Yeah. You ever dream about retiring there like I do? No electricity, just in some log cabin on the countryside, chopping your own firewood and chasing sheep away from uh, messing up all your dwarven forge you have stacked <laughs> on the outside of the house? Yeah, put them in a shack out behind the house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, preferably somewhere like on the coast away from the two bigger cities that are there. Yeah. Just a pub. Yeah, it's good. I love I love the the cold rainy weather there, and then going inside to sit by a peat fire and warm yourself. I also have fantasies about doing that in upstate New York too, where I'm from. Like yeah. I grew up uh, spending my summers on either the St. Lawrence River, which is heaven. It's the border between Canada and the states, yeah. and then a lake uh, kind of close to the Adirondack Mountains. And uh, over the years, sometimes I'm like, ah, fuck this shit. I'm just gonna go wash dishes by the lake. Um, now I can't imagine leaving our magical playpen, but. Yeah, it's a different world now. Yeah. We should never blacklight this place. It's a magical play pl Especially playpen full of. Especially right here. You can do over there and over there, but this Not... place is fine. You don't need to look at that. Mm -mm. I can vouch for it. No, that's like the inside of Sam's flask. Slangsha, thank you. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. It's great, man. I could drink this all night. Well, why don't we Should do that? We? <laughs> Should we just, just do, that? do that? Okay. Okay. Is there, is there more? Yeah, I think so. Hey, let's cancel my Botox. Uh, my 3.30, yeah. Uh... Have you had any work done? Um, yeah, I do a thing with monkey glands. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. 
What What do you do with them once you get them? Do you get them on Amazon? Well, you, you um, they they do come. I get them through Amazon Prime, and then you, you sort of press them um, when you sleep against your taint, and it sort of like tightens. Oh, really? Yeah. Was yours loose? Yeah. Not anymore. I heard that happens when you turn forty. Uh, in a couple of days. Yeah. Loose taint. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a couple of days later, mm -hmm. you meet up with the buddies. You're like, guys, it happened. Yeah. Taint dropped. Remember the day you told me yours did? Now mine's here. And then uh, someone said, "Have you tried the glands?" Someday, son. Someday, it'll be your turn. Talk to your kids about withering taint before someone else does. <laughs> Thank you to everyone for listening to this episode. Again, my thanks to Mr. Liam O'Brien for going to all the places with me. Hope you were inspired and learned a little something from his life story. A reminder, you can support the show by subscribing on iTunes and leave us a rating or review if you'd like. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week. Until then, don't forget to love each other.